Recorded live. Hey, welcome to the American Liberties, the Wednesday night call. It is December 6th. And of December 6th of December. Pretty good. Uh, 2017. And tonight uh, uh, tonight I put on the subject there about I'm only named in the regulations, not in statutes. And the uh, you know Dave David has brought that up many many times, and and the more I think about it, you know, you know, and I go through, and what I haven't done, and I, you know, because I used to almost almost every single day read the 58 page memorandum. Uh, I didn't read the whole 58 pages every day, but I took a topic out every day and read it. And, and I would go over it and over it. And I would always start uh, somewhere around page 21 of 58, where it starts with the issues A. And that's where you will find the subject of, I'm only named in the regulations and the statutes. And a lot of people used to say, you know, well, I'm not a citizen of the United States. Well, in, in the rightly defined, I'm not either. Okay, I'm I'm a I'm, I have state citizenship of Florida, but when you argue all of that and you're bringing all that up, you know you might as well just go to the garbage can and dump it and come back in because they're not going to be listening to it. They're 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 not going to um, do it. But if you say, and and I caught this, and Dave didn't make it apparent to me. He kept saying it, but I didn't catch it. I will stipulate I am who you say I am. And that alone is pretty good because, you know, if um, you're, you're kind of going into agreement with them. Hey, I am who you say I am, okay? I don't have a problem with that. Um, but I'm only named in the regulations and not in the statute, and the statutes cannot deviate from the regulation, meaning the statutes is law, the regulations is not. And so if I'm not mentioned in the statutes, and if you say I am, and let's, and let's uh, talk a minute, servant breath, if I am who you say I am, am I the citizen then in section 1402B and 3121E, really the same citizen as defined in 26 CFR 1.1-1, parent C. And um, so, and, and am I rightfully deemed to be the employee in 3401, parent C? Can the Secretary of the Treasury lay an income tax by naming a subject to Chapter 1 income tax where Congress has not. Because you're not going to argue the 16th Amendment doesn't have any effect or the 16th Amendment wasn't properly ratified or the 16th Amendment, blah, blah, blah. Hey, the 16th Amendment is perfect. It's well done. It couldn't be better. It only says Congress has power to lay and collect taxes. Not the secretary, not the president. So when you go to David Maryland's criminal complaint that so many people have joined, and so many people have been relieved from getting criminally indicted because they have they they have become a joiner of the criminal complaint and use that like I did with the grand jury 10 years ago. Now, not many people are blessed like I was. Not many people get a knock on the door and say, hey, we'd like to invite you to the grand jury. Would you like to come? I mean, I was fully ecstatic when that happened. Would I like to come? Hey, you know, let's get the, let's get the limousine. Let's get going. Because I was prepared and ready. And, and this is what these calls are about. We are trying to get you prepared and ready 
so that this can come right off the tip of your tongue, and it's all here. It's all in the criminal complaint that went to Congress, the the supplemental complaint that also went to Congress, and then you got POTUS, to POTUS.com. And the best of all, you got all of this on WeVGov.com. WeVGov.com. And, you know, and the tax court may want to say this is a tax protester's uh, website, but here it is. It's just showing the law. It's just showing how the courts tell you and me how to interpret the law and how the statutes are to be interpreted, and yet they call it a tax protesters program, a a tax protesters website. And all we want to know, according to Section 7803, where the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights was codified, execution of the duties in accordance with the taxpayer's rights and in discharging his duties the commissioner shall ensure that that employees of the internal revenue service are familiar with the act in accordance with the taxpayer's rights and afforded by other provisions of this title what title Title 26, people, including the right to be informed. Well, you have a right to be informed. So you have a right to the answers to these questions. You have an interpretation. And I could go on and on and on, you know, about the mens rea and all all that. But you heard all that on these calls over and over. So with that, that's my introductory call. And uh, and so now I'd like to bring my longtime friend, my mentor in this, Dave Merlin. Dave, are you still on, or did you? Hey, yeah. Okay. I'm uh, finishing up the uh, search here. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> I verified something today that I heard. I don't know, 60 days ago. And um, it's uh, astonishing. Um, it's the when you discover a mode of misenforcement that you know municipal, state, or federal law enforcement have been, uh, especially if they've been pounding their chest over it, uh, and you find out it's always been a mistake. Uh, it's wonderful to find. Uh, a case that does that for you. And uh, what I put together today, this afternoon on this little research project is uh, going to open some jail doors, federal prison doors, overturn some convictions. And uh, funny stuff, just funny, funny, funny stuff has nothing to do with taxes. Nothing. Now, uh, my name is David Merlin. Welcome to the American Liberties Call. It's like Wednesday something. Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away when law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. The intro topic, uh, the creation of a taxable subject or event or item through the promulgation of a regulation when the 16th Amendment says Congress can land collect the tax. Congress doesn't write the regulation. And when you look at Section 1 of the tax code, the graduated income tax goes on for page after page after page and never once mentions anybody's citizenship And then when you see those 30 federal cases that say you owe this tax because uh, Section 1 imposes it and see this regulation, and a couple courts point right at the regulation and say the regulation identifies the subject of the tax. 
and nobody had the wherewithal to say, uh, it's just a regulation. So you got all this wonderful case law that points to the regulation as the authority, and when you bring it up that it's just a regulation, suddenly it's the fact that the statute uses the term individual. Oh, that makes you liable. You're an individual, right? Aren't you, citizen breath? Yeah, I'm an individual. But that's not the argument, or that's not the conclusion reached in those 30 federal cases. They didn't point toward the term individual. And I know I'm not the citizen in chapters 2, 21, and 23. So if you focus just on chapter 1, where they say citizens of the United States are subject, all I found to indicate that was a regulation under a statute that doesn't mention citizenship. So, of course, I'm going to challenge it as invalid. That's the first part of the challenge. The second part is, now that it's invalid, I want you to assess the remaining statutory scheme, the tax code, and tell me, without that regulation, how does it apply to Americans? They're now pointing at the term individual, whereas 30 cases point toward that regulation. All on wevgov.com on the federal income taxation page. Uh, It's all right there. I'm obviously not in Social Security chapters. That's a different citizenship. If I'm a citizen of the United States. And uh, it's not a concession. It's not a waiver of rights. It's not a proclamation that you believe that's your citizenship. It's simply taking their comment that, hey, as a citizen of the United States, you're subject to this tax code. It's one thing to not be that citizen, but it's another thing altogether if that law doesn't even reach a citizen, if that's what you were. That's the challenge I'm making. So I'm not saying I am a citizen of the United States. I'm saying the citizen they say I am isn't taxed under that tax code for these reasons. Your application of statute is faulty. There's voids in your authority when all we consider is statute. Servant breath. So, uh, sketched as I just did for you in three or four minutes, um, it is a very simple challenge. To arrive at that, Um, you just listen to a bunch of my shows, watch my YouTube videos, watch me teach these topics, and uh, you're going to see that I studied, you know, a couple hundred times what it takes to derive that argument. I studied a lot about the tax code, talked to a lot of people the IRS was treating certain ways, and looked up the IRS's authority to do so, and kept all this in my memory, and then in uh, August 1992, I went from full-time employee for an insurance group to full-time self-employed taxpayer advocate and consultant. I went from doing tax law two hours a day, three hours a day after I worked for somebody else all day, doing numbers, okay, at work. Uh, eight hours a day, my job, uh, a substantial portion of it, I had 350 insurance agencies that were to get mail from this insurance group I worked for. And typically, it would arrive in the form of two-foot-high stacks of documents stapled two or three pages at a time. And I would take two or three inches off the top of that stack, and every insurance group had a number. And on the pigeonhole, on the rack, you had the number and then the name of the agency. And I would sort all all day, I would sort stacks of mail like that by number. I recognized the number and sorted mail like that at high speed, just throwing pages right into uh, pigeonholes on this horseshoe-shaped rack that I could I could lean to the left and touch the rack over here, lean to the right and touch the rack over here, and it was a horseshoe right in front of me, half moon, and I'd just stand there all day long. When I went 
from doing tax law after a day of work like that, two or three hours in the evening, I went to doing tax law 10 hours a day when I got that that position, self-employed consultant. And uh, my, my collected knowledge, acquired experience, and uh, reflection and all that case law, everything started to fall into place my findings organized themselves right in front of me. All my research, I was able to throw away a whole bunch of things because they were small arguments and keep the big ones. And uh, that's what made all the difference was being able to go from two hours a day for the first three or four years I was into this uh, to doing it 10 hours a day. And that was when the breakthrough occurred. And suddenly I understood Here's how the chapters are supposed to work because I blocked all the regulations out. Let's look at just statute first. <clears throat> and then I would I would find things that the IRS wasn't doing correctly, and then I would go search for the regulation that allows them to do it incorrectly. And I found a bunch of them. <laughs> so uh, the amount of research behind what I've been able to simplify and boil down to its uh, – its most essential parts, the volume of research that led to it uh, impresses me. And it now has impressed Lowell Beecraft. Told me on a call the other day that I've taken it way further than anybody in the movement. Duh, like totally. And um, just that one argument, how does the tax code apply in America? In America, they say, citizens of the United States owe the tax. And so you look at the tax code only without the regulations and you don't find citizens of the United States subject to the tax. Look at the 30 cases on wevgov.com federal income taxation page. All of them are pointing at that regulation. They aren't pointing at the word individual. They aren't pointing at a statute in another chapter or in procedures and administration or at the end of the tax code in 7701A where it says the term uh, taxpayers defined as. They're pointing at this regulation, 26 CFR 1.1-1, written under Section 1 of the tax code to implement Section 1, but Section 1 doesn't contain any reference to a citizenship of any kind. Point of order. That's how they brought the tax code into the 50 states. They wrote a regulation to make it so. Uh, the tax code was rewritten in 1954 from the 1939 volume, and that regulation was written in 1960. <clears throat> now, um, the uh, <laughs> and and. Basically, I'm done. Uh, Chris took the first five minutes and said, I'm going to do the intro on this. Can you reflect on that? I'm done already. It's that easy. And also, uh, if you want really to see the meat of the argument, you go to wevgov.com. Uh, go to the uh, uh, top of the left-hand menu column. Click on YouTube 2. It'll take you to my YouTube channel and watch the video called Key to the Code. That's about this challenge, key to the code. That's how it made it into the 50 states. It's the key to the tax code uh, because it's the biggest argument against the tax code. And the second argument, even if I were subject to the tax code and I solved just my labor for a compensation, all property is a cost. There's the second biggest argument. Does it impose a tax on the value of labor? No, it recognizes any money or property as a cost, and labor is property. So uh, the two biggest ones right there on that federal income taxation page of wevgov.com, uh, it, it won't get easier than this. It's not easy for everybody, but uh, it's as easy as it can be made. Let's put it that way. Another uh, great compression of the argument, go to my YouTube channel and watch the, um, 
the uh, capital offense in Kentucky video. The one posted just after that video, a little newer, is called a slideshow. It has a woman screaming, the chair, right there in, the, in your face. Um, it'll take you through the text of the criminal complaint for a capital offense that you saw in the Kentucky capital offense video. And you get to read it and look at how compressed the argument is, the flow of how to calculate your cost when you start in Section 83. It's a, it's a work of art. It's a thing of beauty, that equation. It's, uh, it's the key to the code for the person that has only sold their labor, but for all citizens of the United States, the key to the code is the fact you're only named the regulation. So the person that sells their labor, they have two fantastic arguments, and those are the ones you join when you uh, contract through my office, our office, to file an affidavit of joiner with Congress and uh, with the White House because the inauguration day I filed a criminal complaint with the new president to POTUS.com to President of the United States, to POTUS.com. And um, you can also find all my publications on thebookpatch.com. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to give you an example of rampant misenforcement that one little key to the lock is discovered and somebody can actually set a bunch of people free. Kurt Riggin, of course. Your state constitution in Kentucky and my state constitution in Washington and a bunch of others say bail shall be available by sufficient sureties. <clears throat> well, sureties includes bonds. And if they impose cash-only bail, they've deprived you of lawful bail, which shall include bonds. And um, the cops up here really like to screw with Kurt for several years, and uh, they finally learned their lesson because every time they arrested him, he would get a hold of paper, and people would start writing out motions to dismiss for denial of bail because they imposed cash-only bail. And 20 people at a time would walk out of jail. <laughs> And then finally, I think it was 2003, Yakima versus Mallette, uh, an appellate case here in Washington, finally said, yeah, cash-only bail violates the court rule, and so we're not going to decide the constitutional issue. Another one, Kurt Riggins standing at the counter in Superior Court in uh, Denver, Colorado. U-Haul is... Uh, being sued or had to sue to prevent imminent domain exercise against the property that they own, like a half an acre. And um, the attorney for U-Haul was standing at the counter, and Kurt, who's terminally ill from three or four different diseases and conditions, um, and he's disheveled, uh, holy Levi's. Uh, old shirt, old jacket, um, not frazzled, but might have been uncombed, long brown hair, and uh, looks more than his age. And he's standing beside that attorney, and he turns to the attorney and says, you know, they can't do that. And the attorney looks at him and goes, is that right? And Kurt says, yeah. In 1992, they changed. The statute required that all imminent domain contests be decided by a board or panel of 10 people. And they switched to doing it with just one appointed official. But the statutes never changed. It still requires 10 people on a panel. And the attorney says, is that right? And Kurt says, look it up. The attorney took it all the way to the state Supreme Court and beat the enforcement on imminent domain 
because they hadn't followed statute in how they decided the controversy for like 22 years. Uh, (laughs) Those are, oh, here's another one, Kurt Riggin. They'll arrest you if you don't have insurance in Colorado. That law was repealed in 2005, I think he said it was. Uh, Listen to the Kurt Riggin interviews on my YouTube channel. And he's a walking uh, disaster area, (laughs) a civic duty force 10 cyclone. (laughs) And I heard a rumor a couple months ago, and I just verified it today. There's a huge hole in some really unpopular enforcement. And with this hole, I'm going to equip some people to put a billy club up the enforcement. And uh, it's not going to be good for the federal government. It's not going to be good at all. And this was way easier than Section 83. This is bonehead. And uh, they're in a ringer, man. I mean, they are in a ringer with this one. So uh, stand by. That'll be a, It's going to be a fun event to announce when I bring this out. might be a Christmas present. <clears throat> so... Um, The man in Indiana is on the Seventh Circuit. He's paid the man the appeal fee. And uh, he's going to bring the full gambit of arguments to the Seventh Circuit. And the Supreme Court is going to be told that in hopes that they'll take up Chris's case and Karen's case to avoid the Seventh Circuit revisiting the issues. And uh, there's a big one to start. I think a great issue to start would be, um, you know, I can't talk to the IRS about Section 83 and uh, administratively because they don't even train on it. We can't even get into the language of Section 83. It controls how to tax me. And if you raise it, they'll just get your tax protester and issue you a notice of deficiency. So you have to go to tax court, which means it's one thing to go to tax court. It's another thing to be a plumber and get a notice of deficiency, go to tax court and prove it, pal. What a bitch. And so they win. You don't get reviewed administratively. You don't have the wherewithal to petition tax court. What the hell are you going to do? Lose? That's what you're going to do. If you have the wherewithal to petition tax court, You have to reserve the issues for appeal. You know how I know? Because the... uh, Hang on, this noise is coming from somewhere. Um, Tax court was told in the opening petition that um, I know you'll penalize me and I'm not stupid. I'm reserving these issues for appeal. And tax court never came out and said, oh, no, we won't penalize you. So, yeah, there we go. And uh, com, Maldonado, wevgov.com. Now, uh, so tax court never came forward and said we won't penalize you. Okay, so now we know you can't get administrative review about the language of statute. You can't have it in tax court. They'll penalize you. And the Seventh Circuit will get these issues for the first time, the first available venue for discussion of the law, Seventh Circuit. And we'll see if they, too, fail to mention Section 1012, like the Ninth and Eleventh Circuits failed. It's it's the key statute. It's how to figure your cost. And they didn't even mention it. So, I think it behooves everybody, the first issue, um, so on appeals, we just saw what the Ninth and Eleventh Circuit did. They said, you haven't proven a miscarriage of justice, 
Well, we gave you docket numbers that show tax court will penalize you for asking. So ninth and 11th circuits ducked out. Now, there's a, uh, let me go drag up a case. Um, it's Sigmund Coal Company versus the Secretary of Health Services. Um, very recent case, Sigmund Coal Company. Um, you know, I think it'd be quicker for me to just go get it. Scholar. This is a very technical case about insurance. Uh, at the core of this, a lot of understanding of insurance uh, is necessary to understand uh, the parties and their claims. But the analysis is bonehead. <laughs> That's what I liked about it. The analysis is nothing. Uh, hang on just a second. Sigmund. I looked at this just the other day. Barnhart versus Sigmund Coal Company. Uh, 2002. Uh, yes. Here comes that link. We're looking for a 3, comma 4, 8 at the end of the link. Let's see if Talkshow will let me, yeah, let me do the whole thing. There's a link to the case. The analysis is very simple. Uh, and listen to what they say about a uh, statute. Um, <laughs> That is the end of our query. If the statutory language is clear, we're done. And uh, we know. Okay, I'm looking at, uh, as you scroll down, it's on page 450 of that case under Roman numeral three. As in all statutory construction cases, we begin with the language of the statute. The first step is to determine whether the language at issue has a plain and unambiguous meaning with regard to the particular dispute in the case. The inquiry ceases if the statutory language is unambiguous and the statutory scheme is coherent and consistent. There. That's all I want. And so, even though the appellate court won't hear it, we did prove miscarriage of justice. I have a case from 1995 that I handled, the first appeal I wrote in my life, uh, the Fourth Circuit said, okay, you can raise eight new issues on appeal because tax court would have penalized you. We see those docket numbers. Eight new issues on appeal. And they said, yeah, that's a miscarriage of justice. So the Fourth Circuit disagrees with the Ninth and Eleventh uh, Circuit. And so I don't feel bashful about asking the Supreme Court to decide the issue. Instead of asking them primarily, hey, is that a miscarriage of justice down there if they penalize you for arguing the statute that governs how to tax you? That's a pretty good question. But it's not a guarantee into the court, and it's not the only issue I want the court to hear. The analysis is so simple in Sigmund Coal Company uh, that why wouldn't they take on the Section 83 issue to decide it once and for all because of all the mess I've made with it. So, yeah, it's a miscarriage of justice, but we would ask the court, decide the issue, would you? They win in this court saying the term any means everything, and as soon as we try to use it that way, we lose, and they penalize you for asking. We want the court to declare that in tax statutes, the term any means everything, unless the law makes an exception. I'm good with that. It opens all the prison doors. <laughs> it makes them scramble to write new regulations that says labor is not included in your cost. Thank you. <laughs> Why did it take off? You got to give me a break. 23 years of bitching on my part and, and my students, and you finally come out with a new regulation? Well, look at all these people that have been sentenced under this law and you have to make a regulation to make it clear, well, then open all the jail doors. Kill all the convictions, right? 
because it's always been unconstitutional. They had to clarify it just for a civil case, much less a criminal case. And uh, so the court will take on just that issue. So is it a miscarriage of justice? Uh, And I'm starting at the end of the brief. Uh, Last, is it a miscarriage of justice? Next to the last, void for vagueness. Next to that, uh, Section 83. And next to that uh, is, I don't know whether to split up Social Security and ask them to decide both issues. Challenging just the regulation as a deviation from statute and not arguing that Social Security is inapplicable, simply briefing that it is, because <laughs> there's no Social Security in controversy. Welcome to the call to Mary Darling in California. If everybody goes to my YouTube channel, please do. WeVGov.com. On the left-hand side, there's a menu column. Click on YouTube, too, at the top of the menu column and listen to club public servant, uh, let's see, club criminals in office like baby seals, lady. It's the drive-by litigation uh, tape recording of a conference call here on TalkShoe uh, on Chris's channel a couple weeks ago. And she tells of how uh, a couple years ago the state was beating her up like the state does in California, cost her her kids, her job. And uh, then she learned how to go on the offense when she got my drive-by litigation course. And now she's prowling for uh, public servants to file criminal complaints against. (laughs) So um, it's a huge success story, huge success story to go from clinical depression to laughter about the fact she's holding the whip now. (laughs) And yeah, servant. And uh, it's a wonderful story. And um, now uh, she's on the computer. And, uh, of course, you're welcome. And thank you uh, for, uh, for having the, the, where, the, the gumption, the gall to take on the government. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, much thanks. Uh, uh, should go your way also. It's wonderful to hear somebody get some remedy. And she's actually had a couple calls from the government's attorneys. (laughs) And uh, the government just doesn't call you, okay? It doesn't call you. (laughs) So uh, success uh, comes in in small pieces, but uh, it's obvious success because it's really weird. When, When people do what I teach, they experience strange treatment. <laughs> like when you walk into the courtroom, all the attorneys know that you're the one that filed the criminal complaint against the judge. And as you walk into the courtroom, listen to the volume of conversation. It'll drop when you come in. <laughs> so, And also, your paperwork is going to look dynamite. Just spectacular paperwork. Uh, and that's another thing that I'm really glad to be able to do for somebody. When you take my templates, I don't like to look bad. I do not. That was one of the driving forces in track and field. I'm out there to make you look bad. Every time I show up, I want to make everybody else look terrible. And that's what I do to the prosecution, the opposing attorney, every single time. Um, the more you watch, the more you're going to like it, Maldonado. And uh, so when I see the top-ranked attorneys uh, and their pleadings, I take tips from what they do. I used to take tips until I ironed all of my tips out, everyone I wanted to accept and, and rejected the ones I wanted to reject. And I have a very refined technical writing style that's extremely specific, um, such as uh, you write out the name of a case, like uh, Barnhart versus Stenberg, comma. When you get my stuff, the name of the case will be italicized, but not the comma. (laughs) When the last word in a sentence is italicized, the period will not be italicized. I'm that specific. And so 
I know what document I wrote. I have a signature style that I've been using for years. And I can cruise my way around a keyboard when I strip Microsoft of all of its ability to make my choices for me and get it right down to where it's almost a typewriter. And that's when I do my best work. And uh, when you have my pleadings, picture it. Going into court, you got a criminal complaint against the judge, and it looks better than all the criminal complaints that come in from the prosecutor. Uh-oh. <laughs> this can't be good. And, uh, and then to hear somebody that's actually picked it up on their own behalf. And I think somewhere in the call, she says that uh, she might even be able to help other people. And right on, because California needs all it can get down there. So a wonderful story, and I'm really happy to do that for somebody. Uh, yeah, uh, Maldonado, you can get a hold of Chris. Here's his email address. In fact, I'm speaking. Uh, Chappie, why don't you stick your email address in the chat so Maldonado can see it? And uh, also the materials on wevgov.com, flash drive courses, uh, publications that are perfect bound, eight and a half by 11, manuals, desk references. Uh, but there's nothing like uh, drive-by litigation. Get the uh, writing and filing citizens criminal complaint. Get that course first or get that one and the drive-by litigation course. Uh, you got to take the uh, citizens criminal complaint course first. If the, my courses are graduated, you should start with uh, course number one, how to determine whether or not you're guilty. But uh, anyway, talk to Chris. He'll tell you what we have available. And if you if you want to make a package, per, I'm sure he can uh, he can find a discount in there for you somewhere. Merry Christmas, everybody. <clears throat> now, uh, so the ninth and eleventh circuits have a deadline of around January 26th. So by January 16th, 15th, right in there, Chris and Karen will have filed their Supreme Court petition. And uh, then I'm going to run a couple of these very simple questions past a couple of attorneys that I have on a short list and uh, see if I can get some attention. And then we have the Seventh Circuit, and he's going full on with, uh, with the challenges. He does have a Social Security controversy, and this is other property. You see him on the call here. Um, he does have a social security controversy. Chapter two, self-employed social security. So he's gonna make the challenge on the appellate level that social security has never been written to apply to Americans. Just like you see me uh, sketch the argument on wevgov.com, and as you see me outline it in the tutorial called Key to the Code. It's obvious. There's an orgy of evidence in statute that social security has never applied to Americans. If I'm a citizen of the U.S., that's not my citizenship in those chapters, and I'm not paying it. Ah, oh, man. You know, it's, it's a matter of knowing which, uh, which provisions to argue. Uh, the sorting process I had to undergo at the end of all my research there near the, uh, like the last six months of 1992, um, you have to organize your thoughts. And once I identified these categories of authority that you see me outline, in the, uh, there's a video on YouTube called Just Video Number 7, Tax Code from the Ground Up. Those are the categories of enforcement authority that, uh, that uh, exposed themselves to me when uh, I finally went full-time tax law. And uh, that's all she wrote. 1993 was spent administratively beating our brains out. We got nowhere. And so uh, about 30 people filed the first brief I wrote in my life as U.S. tax court petitioners. And I took five of those all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court by the October term of 98. But I did not have all that case law that says any means all of it. And now I do. The government has won five times in the Supreme Court saying any means all of it. If I win that argument, there's no income tax imposed on the value of labor. And it's going to the Supreme Court in two cases. 
And if they don't hear those two, it's going on through the Seventh Circuit. <laughs> How do you like me now? <laughs> You're cut off. They pissed off the bartender in 1988, Maldonado. That's me. High-volume bartender, bad attitude. And I didn't like the way I was treated. In On April 15th of 1988, they came to my door. And in January of 94, I was all through with my treatise. And uh, after a year of administrative attempts and wrote the first briefs in my life, and uh, the next December of 94, they rewrote one of the regulations that I was challenging in those briefs. You can see that tutorial. It's the latest, the most recent posting on YouTube. It's called uh, Shove This Regulation. <clears throat> so anyway, um, uh, that's where everything sits. Now, fascinating about tax court. Let me share this. If anybody's thinking of getting off the call, don't do it yet. I'm going to share something with you here. This is what tax court just said about Section 83. And it's obviously bogus. Now, um, oh, come on, you turkey. Okay. Um, First, there's a particular case here that, uh, you know, you son of a gun. Um, it's Pagel Incorporated. Pagel, in, uh, Pagel Incorporated versus Commissioner. Here it comes. I'm going to paste it into the chat. Go find this case if you want. It's on my, um, it, there's an excerpt on my WeVGov federal income taxation page. This is what I say. This is tax court. If it's in the first six months of 1988, it's a, an opinion from before I even looked at a statute in my life. And it's about Section 83. And it says, Section 83A generally provides that where property is transferred in connection with the performance of past, present, or future services, the excess of the fair market value of that property over the amount paid for the property is included as compensation in the gross income of the taxpayer. Exactly. The excess over the value of my paycheck, I'm sorry, the excess in the value of my paycheck that is over the amount that I paid for my paycheck is includable in gross income. That's what Section 83 says. And the amount paid, which you have to figure out first before you know what the excess is, the amount paid is defined as the value of any money or property paid. The government has won in the Supreme Court five times saying that the term any means all of it unless the law provides for an exception. And they can't provide a law that accepts labor from the definition of cost that says any money or property. And so they should lose. And they won't even talk about the regulation, the language of the regulation that defines the amount paid as the value of any money or property paid, because then it leads to the five victories that the government got in the Supreme Court and the 15 or 20 appellate cases you'll see on wevgov.com that agree with those Supreme Court decisions. And those 20 appellate cases are from 2013, 14, and 15. Slam dunk. So I feel it's of such uh, public importance. The Supreme Court just might take it on, even though the appellate case, uh, courts did not rule on Section 83. So I think we should throw it in there anyway. Anyway, that's where all that sits. Uh, it's only 10 minutes till the top of the hour. I'll take a question or two, and then uh, we're history. Hey, Chris. Okay. Uh, we got Northeast Carolina. I'm and Dar Darling says she has a comment. Let's hear her comment first. Okay. Um, well, that's probably her. Uh, let me see. No, she's in California. Yeah. Well, oh, I, that, yeah. I said Carolina. I'm sorry. Yeah. See how you are. Okay. There you go. Is that you, Darling? Yes, this Hi. is. This is. Thank you, Chris. Hi. Um, I just, uh, just really quickly, I just wanted to um, let everyone know out there that the drive-by litigation it applies to many, many situations. And um, in my situation, I'm actually using it um, in civil 
well, I guess everything's civil, and family law. And um, the criminal complaint will stop them in their tracks. And anyone who's looking at jail, you need to get it before they put you in jail because I was looking at, um, I was looking at, they got me with four ridiculous charges, four ridiculous charges. And, um, and they were looking at adding more. <laughs> they were looking at adding more, believe it or not. But on the day of my trial, I got Dave's um, uh, driver litigation, I think about uh, two weeks before, two weeks before my, um, my uh, trial. And because my, I had an attorney, I made the mistake everyone makes, I had an attorney, and he kept denying me. He, he, and it got to the point where I, I didn't believe him anymore, and I was willing to take the chance um, to go on my own. And um, especially when I read that um, you can only go to jail if you have an attorney. So that gave me confidence to fire him. And um, I was scrambling, and I came across God. God led me to drive-by litigation. I read it. Um, or not, I didn't, I didn't read it. I'm sorry. I listened to it over and over and over again. And at the same time, I was writing my first complaint. And I had to write four of them all at the same time. And so I wrote, because there's um, four different cases. So I wrote all four of them, put them into my court case. And on the day of my um, trial, or the day I was supposed to go to trial, it was, it was no more. And they sent my case all the way back over to the arraignment. Um, and uh, I got a public defender now, and I'm um, um, looking at um, dismissing, you know, for, for speedy trial violation. Um, but in the criminal complaint, if you keep looking, there's so much stuff. <laughs> there's so much stuff. Um, keep looking, keep looking, read those cases. The more you read the cases, the more research um, you're going to find on your own. And you'll find so many, 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 many laws that protect us um, <clears throat> against the um, against servant breath. And, um, <laughs> and, um, You'll feel powerful. There's, they won't answer you. They're scared. I mean, you have them when you when you air when you make public their dirty laundry, the the crimes that they're committing against you. Um, it's got to be embarrassing. You know, I, I laugh a lot when I tell people the story because I wish I could see their faces because I'm laughing when I'm reading. <laughs> when uh, the, I'm reading. the fly, the fly on the wall has got to have a good time. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's something else. And take the time. Take the time to listen to it over and over and over again because it is um, overwhelming at first, especially when you don't know how to apply it to your situation. But um, the more you keep listening, the more you – one case will lead you to this case, you will find your resolution. And you'll, you'll, it, it changes your um, – it changes your um, – Yes, perspective. You're you're not on defense anymore. You're in charge, just the way you want it to be. And you get to the point where you you um, right now after my criminal complaints, I'm finally now to where this week I'm almost done with my claim against them for the criminal complaints. You know, so the criminal complaints don't expect anything from it. It, it'll stop whatever's happening from you. You know, it, it's something that you don't have to worry about when you file it. And but it will help you when you do file your claim against them. And okay, because Quick, you're fact- quickly, I want quickly I want to say two things. Uh, it's getting near the top of the hour, and uh, Chris has to go. But uh, something you just said, um, you said, uh, uh, man, tell me the last couple points you just made. Uh, I said that um, when you do your criminal complaint, um, you walk away, you don't worry about it. But when you get to the point right, where you file right, your case. Right, Okay, okay. When you file a motion in a case or when somebody files a motion against you, it's an invitation to a fight. And then you have to say, oh, yeah? Well, here's my reply. And you, you do an exchange of briefs, and then it, there's a hearing. And all the drama, you show up, you have to argue against the prosecutor. I'm not good at this. I you know, and I'm, I'm just Joe Lunchbucket. I don't do this for a living. Prosecutor has all this power. It's a, a basically 
a poop fight. You're both standing in the sewer. You both have a scoop, and maybe the government scoop is bigger than yours, and you're both throwing it at each other, okay? But when you file a criminal complaint, you file it and walk away. It's just evidence and testimony, your affidavit, your sworn statement, and here's my evidence, and they violated the law this way. But then you walk away, and what it does is it puts a dark cloud in their future just like they put one in your future when they filed a complaint against you or brought the charge or whatever. And so it's a way to level the playing field in at least that way, but then it's on public record, so it's affecting them politically also. Not just employment, it's bad to get fired, but it's political laundry on record. So there's a lot going on, even with just the simplest little complaint, but it's nothing you have to stand there and tend. You don't have deadlines or anything. You walk away from it. It does all the work. The work has to come from the system. Are you going to punish criminals or aren't you? Okay? So there's nothing more for you to do except spread it around to people they don't want to know. You filed a criminal complaint, like radio stations, newspapers. Now, uh, last comment, Chippewa um, had a uh, question about the benefits of the the reason somebody might file an affidavit of joinder to the criminal complaints that I've filed with Congress is C1 on twopotus.com. Um, the congressional complaint of 2006, if after reviewing my materials to a point where you think, yeah, um, they are depriving people of the provisions of Section 83 and uh, citizens of the U.S. are only named in regulation, and so I think they are committing crimes that are alleged in that criminal complaint, racketeering, extortion, because we don't owe it, and we know they'll take it if we don't give it freely. And uh, so, yeah, I want to go on record uh, to report this crime as a similarly situated witness to those crimes. They're misenforcing the law in those two ways. And now that you're on record as a co-complainant, you can get... Uh, my books, Take from Caesar, Volume 1, is the 2006 Congressional Complaint. Two POTUS is the Inauguration Day Complaint of this year. Uh, you can get them at cost from Chris. Instead of standing at the copier, uh, printing off copies of these and putting staples in the right places, you just order 10 books at a time. And so you got 10 copies of the criminal complaint, and you start serving those with cover letters and wielding them as if they're your complaint, because they are. And uh, it's why I made the criminal complaint the way I made it, so that anybody that feels they're similarly situated, you can join it. And then you don't have to write your own complaint, your own memorandum. Everything's done for you. So uh, that's the benefit. Uh, another benefit, write this down on wevgov.com slash all lowercase, no spaces. Back trialbrief.pdf backtrialbrief.pdf let me verify that real quick here wevgov.com slash backtrialbrief yes there it is backtrialbrief.com that's the definition of innocence that's what you're trying to become by wielding my complaint letting them know the law protects me. I know it does. You can't convince me I don't have a duty. Look at all the evidence against you. Well, that's somebody that fits the definition of innocence in that James Back trial memorandum from the government in the 2014 tax evasion case. That's the objective of the joinder. Top of the hour, folks. Chris has to go. Thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us on American Liberties. I'll be back on Saturday on my channel, 59615. 59615, noon Pacific, 3 o'clock Eastern. Over to you, Chris. Take care, everybody. Okay, I think Darling had something else to say. Darling, do you? Okay. Darling? Yes. yes. Good. Go for it. something else to say? Oh, no, no. I finished up. I just the, the last thing I just wanted to say was once you have um, – your your criminal complaint submitted, and you're you're at the point where you you're filing your your claim against them. You already have your facts, and your facts are in your criminal complaint. So it's it's 
definitely it's definitely a way to um file organize efficient, yes organize efficient filing and that was that was it to facilitate uh what your attorney has to do to get you money once you settle or when you're going for a settlement afterwards okay everybody Maybe. talk at you later okay thank you and and i, I want to end up by saying uh here's a link i'd like to have everybody that doesn't know about noble seven um what we're doing is now noble eight we changed the name but um i would like to invite everybody to watch the video i'm not going to try to sell the program the program speaks volumes on the video and uh, and get with me if if you're all interested great program and it's going to help fund uh to to do what we do okay so anyhow god bless america and this call is officially over